Today we're beginning a new three-week series we've titled The Adventure, Navigating the Practices of the Christian Life. And our purpose in this series is to look at a bunch of things that Christians do, or should do, and ask, why? Why do we do this? Why do we do that? What are these Christian disciplines about? And so, as the framework for kind of breaking down these disciplines, we're going to be using our five rhythms to help us categorize these things. And some of you are newer to Woodside, so let me just explain briefly what on earth I am talking about with five rhythms. So, a few years ago, our church leadership synthesized the entirety of the Christian life into five things. It's amazing, right? Just the five. No one's amazed? It's amazing. It's, it's simple, yeah, but it's not easy. So these are our five rhythms. These are things that any Jesus follower should be building into their life. The first one is stay close to Jesus. This is about your personal, intimate walk with the Lord through reading His Word and praying. Pastor Dan is going to talk about this one in a couple of weeks. The second rhythm is celebrate big. This is about gathering in a corporate setting to worship God and edify each other. The third rhythm is connect small. This is about having intentional and close relationships with other believers. The fourth rhythm is called share the work. This is about serving in your church through your spiritual gifts, your passions, and your skills And then the fifth and final one is engage in mission. This one's going outside the walls of your church to bring the truth and love of Christ to your neighbors and your coworkers. So these are our five rhythms, and they more or less encompass what a mature walk with the Lord looks like. And so this morning, we're going to focus on just two, celebrate big and connect small. But just before we do that, I wanted to tell you a story. Does anybody else love a good adventure. Oh, a few? Wow, maybe even more than first service. That's remarkable. I know I thoroughly enjoyed Pastor Dan's bicycle adventure story from a couple weeks ago. Some of you also? Yes. Well, I've pursued various adventures my whole life. I love to experience new things. I love to explore. I love to get my blood pumping. And when I was 18, I hopped on a plane for New Zealand to go do an adventure Bible school course. And I'd kind of decided before I left that when that Bible school wrapped up, I wanted to explore that corner of the globe before I came home. So Bible school finished, and for the next couple months, I hitchhiked around New Zealand, Australia, China, and Japan. And I got to tell you, there was this amazing feeling when I walked into the airport with all of my Bible school friends and watched all of them get on planes to go back home, and then I just turned around, and walked out of the airport alone. I was pumped. I was so excited and ready to do this on my own. And so then I I navigated from here to there to there with my thumb out, sometimes with a sign of the next town I wanted to see. I slept in caves and on beaches and under a park bench one time, in a ditch one time, also sometimes in hotels. Sorry, Mom. I tried new things, I tried surfing and bungee. I hiked to all kinds of natural wonders that left me in utter awe of what I was looking at. Um, Yeah, I had these deep conversations 
with strangers. I learned a lot about my own character. I had some really neat experiences with God. But all the while, I kept finding this very strange thing. Every time I got to that lookout with the view on the trail, or I finally caught a wave, or I tried a new food that I wasn't sure even what it was, I always felt a little weird. It, I was like really enjoying myself. I was really enjoying these experiences, but it wasn't quite what I thought. It wasn't quite as satisfying as I had expected. And it wasn't until my trip was nearly finished that I realized why I was feeling like this. I realized that I was doing this all alone. Nobody was going to reminisce with me about these things. Nobody was going to totally understand the circumstances of the story. Nobody was going to totally get the view just from my little picture of it. I realized that I'd wished that I'd brought along my family or friends on this adventure and that I hadn't attempted this phenomenal thing solo. Friends, the Christian adventure is not a solo mission. This thing is a family affair. It is not possible to live life to the fullest without the family of God. And so this morning, as we look at the adventure that is the Christian life, we're going to be looking specifically at the family of God, because this is who is supposed to be along for the adventure, helping us navigate it. And we're going to ask a couple of questions. Why do we celebrate big why do we connect small? Especially as the, the family of God, the people of God. And friends, that's what we are. We're a family. A couple of years ago, there was a show, I think it was on Netflix, about families. This is us. Some of you? No? Oh, somebody for sure. I never watched, but look around you. This is us. This is our family. We are that family. We're the church. And so we're going to ask some why questions about the church. But before we ask why, I think we should probably ask what? What is church? Like, what, what are we? What is the church? We've got to try out some definitions. So I found some. Let me read a couple for you. See if you like them. Church is the building with a cross worked into its architecture. Meh. Church is a group of people gathered together to participate in prescribed religious activities or norms. Nah. Church is a club for people who all believe the exact same thing and are trying to achieve certain goals. Nah. Church is a weekly service you can attend. They're all like a little bit right and a little bit wrong, right? And maybe you're like me, you find it challenging to say just what exactly is the church? Or maybe you've got a very postmodern attitude towards the whole thing, and like, well, everybody has their own definition of the church, so we can't even really say what it is. Well, that's problematic, because then we have to ask, well, is, is Woodside the church? Is Woodside a church? 
Like, we, we have to be able to say what it is because we are saying we are it. But then we have probably more questions. Is the church just a combination of all of the churches? Well, what about people who don't have a church? Okay, but then is everybody who is in a church part of the church? And then there's like 37 million Christian churches globally. So does that make Woodside 0.0000000027% of the church? Well, what about Bible studies? What about home churches? What about Christians in prison? What about people who have just come to faith in the Lord? You can see why this becomes a hard thing, even just to talk about. But at the same time, it's really easy. You would say, you're a part of a church. You'd also say, probably, that you're a part of the church. So it must be easy enough to understand, even if it's complex, if not impossible, to explain fully. And this morning, it might get a little confusing, because we are talking about what we are, in essence, we are the church, and what we do in activity. We go to church. So we're using the same word for both our identity and our activity. So I will try my best to be clear, and hopefully we don't get too confused. But let's start by looking at God, how God describes the church in His Word. And He actually gives us a bunch of uh, spiritual truths that are put into metaphor for us in the Bible to tell us exactly what we are in identity. And I want to focus on just two today. And the first one is the family of God. That's kind of the primary image for the church, the family of God. The Apostle John wrote about this metaphor especially. And he says in his gospel, all who believed in Christ's name, he gave the right to become the children of God. And then in one of his letters, we are now God's children. And actually, the Apostle Paul carries that image, and he reminds us, so then you are no longer strangers or aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the other saints and members of the household of God. And so we are the children of the Father, and we're members of the same household. And we could like, cut that up a bunch of different ways, but one of the ways would be to say that the church is now a, a people. We're a people group. We're God's people. That's something that Israel gets called in the Old Testament. That's kind of, yeah, people group language. We're a family in the sense of a people. But we're also a family in the sense that we have the same father. We're a family in the sense that we have the same brother, Jesus Christ. And that is some intimate language, hey? It's, it's not just that you are a child of God, which is true, but that because I am two, we are now one family. That's part of our identity as the church. And the other main metaphor that gets used in Scripture for what we are as the church is that we are the body of Christ. Uh, Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 are probably the most clear passages for us for this image of the church. And halfway through 1 Corinthians 12, we read these words. 
For just as the body is one and has many members, and all of the members of the body, though they are many, are just one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of just one member, but of many. And then later on in the same chapter, we read this, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, so that there may be no division in the body, but that all of the members may have the same care for one another. For if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ, and individually you are members of it. And so we are the body. We're a body. We're distinguishable parts of one whole. We have a spirit living inside of us, the Holy Spirit. We are connected to the head, Jesus Christ, who is both our source and our authority. And that passage also lays out for us that some of us are like the eyes for the body. Some of us are like the feet for the body that we're all these different parts of one functioning whole. And that's also some intimate language, isn't it? Like, it's not just that you are a part of Christ's body, but that because I am too, we're now one body. That's part of our identity as the church. And those two pictures, that we're the family of God and we're the body of Christ— they actually, they are our definition. They are not only metaphors. That's, that's the truth. That's the reality of what we are as the church. We are these things, and we are these things in relation to God. We're His children. We're part of His body, and we're also these things in relation to each other. We are a family, and we are a, a body. Now, here's where it gets a little confusing, because that is paradoxically true at a large scale and at a small scale. Meaning that, Woodside, we are a family and a body. We are the family of God and the body of Christ. We're also part of the family of God and the body of Christ. One theologian puts it like this, the church is one throughout the whole world and yet, at the same time, is fully present in every individual assembly. The sum of all of the individual congregations does not produce the total community or the church. Instead, the whole is found in each place. Each community, however small, represents the total community, the church. Isn't that amazing? It's hard to wrap our minds around. I was told between the services that a good... Uh, illustration for this is a holographic image, that it's actually a whole bunch of images, but it's just also one image. But every image is the same image. It's a good image for this image. <laughs> now, that image could give us the impression that everyone who attends church is a part of the church. Now, Martin Luther, the great reformer, addressed this, and he made it a concept calling it the visible versus invisible church concept. 
and I'll paraphrase him a little bit, but more or less he says that the visible church is all those whose butts are in pews on a Sunday morning. And the invisible church is all of those who claim that their soul is hid with Christ on high. Now, over the course of church history, we've maybe swung from one extreme to the other. Maybe in years past, there was this idea that you could be born a Christian, whether because of your nationality or your parents, that as long as you attended church, you were part of the church. Well, that's way too far to the visible church end of the spectrum. But maybe now more popular is the notion that as long as I have a very private and personal relationship with Jesus, the rest of all of you are kind of irrelevant. That's way too far over to the invisible church end of the spectrum. So maybe we'd say it like this. We'd agree that church attendance doesn't save a soul. But saved souls attend church. Or how about like this? I think we would say the truth of the matter is not everyone who attends a church is a part of the church, but everyone who's a part of the church attends church. How's that? Notice how we're talking about what we are in essence. We are the church and what we do in activity. We go to church. And I'm just trying to get us to think about our activity in light of our identity. So how about we try out a definition? The global church is the family of God, one body, the bride of Christ, made up of all Christians for all time. And each local church is the family of God, one body, the bride of Christ, made up of all Christians who participate in that church. So that is what church is. And this morning, we're going to ask a bunch of whys around the concept of the activity of the church divided into celebrating big and connecting small. And we need to do these things. We need to celebrate big, and we need to connect small with our fellow believers, specifically for edification and worship. And both of those functions, edification and worship, happen at both of those functions, Sunday morning and Christian friendship. And maybe if we kind of carry that image of the family of God Celebrate big is kind of like the family reunion, where absolutely everybody gets together for either a really joyous or really serious occasion. And then the connect small is more just like normative, everyday family life, supper time with the kids, right? So we're going to start by zooming in on one rhythm, celebrate big, and then the other, connect small. But just before we do that, I want to put this out there before we get into the application. Church, I love you. I really love our church. Pastor Dan and Pastor Gordon and our elders, they love you. They thank God for you. We have a really good and healthy family here at Woodside. And I would say that the foundation of that health has been that for 47 plus years, our church has done these rhythms in spirit and in truth. We have kept Jesus Christ, the main thing, and we have stood on his word as being absolutely true. So thank you, church, for your faithfulness to God. He sees you. I really think we do these well here. So why should we celebrate big? Well, celebrate big for us at Woodside is mostly about 
Sunday mornings. Now, there are certainly other events that would qualify, but more or less we're talking about coming to church. And one of the rhythms of every Jesus follower is that they go to church every week. That's been true since Christ ascended into heaven and is still true today. Christians go to church. So why? Why do we go to church? Well, let me give you three answers from God's Word. The first why we go to church is because God said to. Over and over again in the book of Acts, we read things like this. The believers were gathered, or they were all gathered together, or they were gathered together on the Lord's day. This is all the way throughout the story of the early church. Now, we don't just all come to church because of the implication we're making from the book of Acts. It's also expressly commanded of us. In Hebrews 10, do not neglect to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day of the Lord drawing near. And so God's intention for all Christians is that they be connected to a local church. Now, some of you probably have this question racing through your mind right now. What about online church? Great question. We'll get there. But first, two other reasons why we go to church. So first, God said to. Second, it's good for us. First Corinthians tells us that the gathering is for the building up of the brothers and sisters. And so when we get together, we build up, we encourage each other. Now, many of, you, many of you have expressed that sometimes that encouragement happens without anybody saying a thing. I got told that two weeks ago. Do you remember we had that update from Muskrat Dam? We had those missionary couples on the stage. Uh, one of the couples was from the States, Todd and Diana. Well, they said after the service that just being in the physical presence of us, singing with us, hearing us sing, hearing the word taught to them, just attendance was food for their soul. It's good for us. But now, I'm not advocating that you just come to church for the benefits it will give you. This isn't consumerism. It will benefit you. But first, it's about God. God said to. And so, He's honored and glorified when we obey Him. And yes, it will benefit you. But thirdly, we go to church for each other. Like, you're not only supposed to be built up by coming to church, you're supposed to help with the building. We're construction participants, right? And so you being here today is an encouragement to me. You've encouraged me. You've encouraged your brothers and sisters through your attendance here this morning. And then when you're also serving in our family with your gifts and your skills, man, that's when we really thrive. And Daniel Mose is going to teach about that next week. But we really need each other. It's not good for us to be alone. So those are three of the whys we come to church. And then there's also some things that we do when we're at church that are absolutely important for every single Christian. And in Acts chapter 2, and then also in some of the letters, God spells out for us what gets included in the gathering of Christians on the Lord's day. It's things like this. Singing, praying, teaching, 
fellowship, remembering Jesus. Those things have been done consistently on Sundays for 2,000 years. I just find that so cool. We're just carrying on this lineage. We pray. We pray together. God's Word tells us that God is present when we pray together. That when two or three are gathered in His name, He's here. We, we devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching. We sit under the authority of God's Word as it is taught to us each week. We remember Jesus in communion. We take those elements together. We sing. Side note, did you know that singing is like a part of the Christian life? Gary Goodkey kind of mentioned this last week, but singing is a spiritual activity. It's also unique as an art form. Like, God did not command us to paint a beautiful picture to the Lord or to whittle a wonderful carving to the Lord. But we are commanded in Scripture to sing to the Lord. Now, I know, it's the worship guy talking about singing. I know not everyone loves to sing. I know that some of us can't even hit notes that count as music. But God knows that. He knows that. There's this vulnerability and beauty to singing that glorifies God in a special way. And so even if you don't like to do it, can I encourage you to try? Maybe start with humming. <laughs> it's important. And I have to tell you a story because when I was growing up, we had close family friends at the church that we attended. And the father in that family was well past tone deaf. Like, that guy could not hold a note if it weighed a gram. But let me tell you, he sang to God. He made a joyful noise to the Lord. And what an example he set for his children. And honestly, for me, as a child, I can remember going to my parents and asking them, why doesn't he be quiet? Like, has nobody told him he's terrible? And my parents essentially said to me, Chris, he's not worried about what you or anyone else thinks. He is focused on what God thinks. And I have to say, there's been many of you over the years who have encouraged me in my worship to the Lord just through your worship to the Lord. I know Mackenzie Wright comes to mind. It's, it's one of the great privileges of being able to lead worship here is that we get to look out and see hundreds of you praising God. It's amazing. It strengthens my resolve to serve the Lord with my life. And so all of that discussion of why we come to church and what we do at church sort of brings us around to online church. And so I'm sure there's some of you watching this today who are joining us from the far reaches of the province or other places in Canada or even around the world. And our desire is that you would be connected in person to a local church. Now, we understand that there might be exceptional circumstances in some cases, but the best thing for believers is to be in real community with other 
believers. Now, some may be joining us for the very first time, and they're from the region. We want to welcome you, and we hope to see you soon in person. Maybe some of you were like that. You watched us online for a couple times, and then you joined us in person. Welcome. We're so glad that you're here with us. We really view our online presence as an on-ramp to our actual community here at Woodside. Now, let me just put my hand up and say that I got out of the rhythm of celebrating big during COVID. I did. And I know that it's not like flip a switch easy to just get it back. But God knows that we need each other. And I want to encourage you to consider the value of your presence here with us on a Sunday morning. I know God has been working on my heart in terms of my motives for coming here on a Sunday morning, but your physical presence is important to us. There was a theologian during World War II, his name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and he wrote many books, but one of the books he wrote was Life Together, and I would highly recommend that book to anybody who wants to grow their love and appreciation for the family of God. Life Together, it's called. And in that book, he writes, the physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. Let me read that again. The physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. Many of you know that to be totally true. And it actually brings us to our other rhythm of Christian community, and here we call it Connect Small. This is another normal practice of every single disciple of Christ. And you might think, why? Why do I need to connect small? Maybe you think, well, I already celebrate big, so why bother connecting small? Or maybe vice versa. I already connect small. Why would I need to celebrate big? Well, although we worship God and edify each other at both of those types of get-togethers, they have really different means of doing those things. And so when we say connect small at Woodside, what we mean is that all Christians should have other Christians with whom their life is intimately connected. That's the design. And so part of why we connect small is because not all of that togetherness can be accomplished in a large gathering, especially in a church our size, you could come and go on a Sunday morning and be quite anonymous. Like, you could have tough circumstances that nobody sees. You could be struggling with certain sins that nobody is keeping you accountable for. You could be having some physical needs that, that nobody is meeting. And that's why we connect small. And so I want to encourage you, church, if there is no Christian who's outside of your actual home, who knows what's going on in your heart and life, you're trying to do something alone that was meant to be done together. Now, trust me when I say that I know that letting people into your heart is hard. That trusting other human beings is hard. I, I'm not saying this is just simple or neat or tidy. It certainly isn't. But God knows what's good for his creation. 
And he says, not me, he says, it's not good for us to be alone. So yes, we get together large scale to praise and to strengthen one another, and then we also have people who know us deeply and who care for us. I hope that you have somebody who you would call your mentor. I hope that you have somebody who would call you their mentor. I hope you have a few brothers or sisters who you confess your sin to. I hope you have some who pray for the specifics of your life. If these are things you don't have, and you're not even really sure how to go about getting them, would you come and talk to us? Like, we have resources for all of these things here at the church. Um, one of the key ones we have would be our small groups. We call them life groups. They get together for these things. They're a connect small sort of thing. And if you would want to join one of those, you can just come talk to me after the service or send me an email. We also have a care ministry here at the church that can help if you're going through a difficult circumstance. We also have a variety of ministry teams that serve different areas of the church. And those teams often end up very connected, close with one another and praying for the things in each other's lives. We really desire that this body would feel like a family. And so that, that means that there's an onus both ways, right? Like, we have to be in and committed to you, and you have to be in and committed to us. That's the way it works. And we really believe that these are keys to navigating this adventure, navigating the Christian life. So let me make it quite plain. Our hope is that you come to church and worship with us. And our hope is that you have other Christians with whom your life is intimately connected. Those are our hopes. And I'm talking about physically, emotionally, spiritually connected with other Christians. We believe that that, that nearness and that knownness is important for every single believer. And here's why. God didn't just say this is the good way to do things. He did it. Jesus did this. He came to us physically. He attended. That's part of the miracle of Christmas. It's why we all get jazzed in December. Like, God would come to us physically. He was incarnated. He put on flesh so that He could be near to us, so He could relate to us, so He could know our needs. And His presence here on earth made God known to us. We read that in John chapter 1. And when Christ was here on earth, which was God modeling for man what life to the fullest looks like, Jesus Himself celebrated big and connected small. He went to the synagogue weekly to gather with the people of God. He sang to God. That's a brain bender. He worshiped. He taught. He encouraged. He fellowshiped. He spoke to the crowds. He prayed. He read Scripture out loud. He sat beside other God-fearers. This is the God who we have our hope in. 
he did these things. And Jesus had a small group of disciples with whom he shared his whole life with. They supported each other. They had meals together. They shared life circumstances and joys and sorrows, and they prayed together. And as if all of that presence of Christ on earth with us was not enough, he left us his spirit to be present with us, to dwell inside of us, to be our comforter and our exhorter. And so, friends, when we gather with other Christians on a Sunday morning and when we share our lives with each other, we aren't just doing what God said to do. We're doing what God did. And so, we become image bearers of God. We start to look like the God who made these things for us. And so, it's not just a snapshot of God's will, which it is, And it's also not just a snapshot of God's person, which it is. It's also a snapshot of eternity. Like, this is what is waiting for you and I in heaven. We are going to be celebrating in the bodily presence of our Lord and His bride for all eternity. The Bible says we're going to be with a great cloud of witnesses, so I trust that it's going to be big. We're going to celebrate big. And we're going to be with each other in perfection, without sin, in total unity. And so when we do these things here on earth, we're imitating Christ and we're foreshadowing what is to come. And I got to say, it's quite the adventure. Young people, the Christian life, it is quite the adventure. It's full of drama and intrigue and emotion and adrenaline and heartache and trials and victory and peace and dark nights and conflict and mystery. But friends, this sort of adventure is not to be done alone. And so thank you for doing this expedition with me. (laughs) I need you. I love you, and may God move among us. Would you join with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for his presence here on earth with us, that he would come near to us, that he would make himself known to us by his very presence so that we may know him. We're trusting in Jesus to be our salvation. And Lord God, we also thank you for our other brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you for giving us a family with whom to do this life with. And God, I'm thankful specifically for this family. Thank you for Woodside, for brothers and sisters who love the Lord and want to see him glorified and who encourage and strengthen one another. We give you glory for all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.